Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning, we're going to start something new uh, that is going to take us right up uh, until Lent. For the next uh, six weeks, we are going to read and think together about what Scripture says about baptism. I want us to talk about uh, what our baptism means for those of us who have been baptized and what it could mean for those of us who have not. Uh, scripture has a lot to say about baptism, and one thing is really clear in Scripture, and that is that uh, baptism is never just something that happened to us a long time ago. Baptism forms our identity as people in the present. It has a great deal to say about how we live as followers of Jesus and about how we live and how we serve together in the church. And our baptism speaks definitively to us about how we will be brought safely home. So uh, this morning, I want us to talk about the baptism that stands at the head of all of them. I'm going to read from Matthew 3 for us. I'll read verses uh, 11 through 17. You can follow along uh, in the order of worship where it's printed. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with his Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just uh, sang together. Some of us maybe just heard it and didn't sing it, that, that all, of our, all of our knowledge, all of our sight is, is really clouded, and that we need you if we're going to understand the things that matter the most. And so, Father, we ask that this thing that we sang together or heard together, um, that it, we would find it to be true in this moment, that we admit it, that we need it, that we need you uh, to show us your light, that we need you to lead us into good things and into life. So use this word that we have read and heard together to point us to the word that bears our flesh, who was baptized, <laughs> who's seated with you right now. Show us his grace and change us by it. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, the, uh, the first Christmas after Allison and I were married, I had this idea of a gift that I wanted to get for her. Uh, it was 1996, and I tell you that... Um, because while we could certainly go online and look for stuff in 1996, it was definitely not the situation uh, that we find ourselves in today. Back in those days, we, uh, we mostly went to stores <laughs> and we browsed in catalogs that came in the mail. Um, we also wrote letters back then and felt boredom from time to time, but those are stories for another time. 
Anyhow, anyhow, I was flipping through this catalog, and I came across a, a tiled hurricane candle shade. And I, it looked perfect to me. It looked good to me. In the picture, the tiles uh, had this deep uh, golden uh, brown hue to them, and there was this candle inside of the shade, and it was glowing, and it looked beautiful. And I could imagine uh, that thing just sitting in a prominent place somewhere in our living room. So uh, I did what you had to do. I got my credit card handy. I called the 800 number, and I ordered it. And it arrived a couple days before Christmas, and when I opened the box, I thought that maybe I had been sent the wrong thing. Um, First of all, it was about six inches tall. (laughs) Six inches tall, and it was hard for me to imagine finding a candle that would even fit into it, and the tiles were more of a dirty white than that deep uh, golden brown hue that I was looking for. I was, I was so disappointed, you know. Here it was, our first Christmas, and I ordered this bust out of a thing that I had been led to believe would be something else altogether. Now, Allison, being who she is, made this no problem. She was wildly gracious about it. She even made this uh, black tea stain to paint over the tiles to give them a little more gravitas, and we had that thing for a while. But even so, every time I looked at it, I thought about anticipating one thing and getting something very different. And I do wonder if John, out there in the Judean wilderness on the muddy banks of the Jordan, felt something of the same thing when Jesus arrived asking to be baptized. He, he was surprised. He was surprised. And maybe some of the people there that day were surprised too. John had just described the one who was coming after him as mighty, as fiery, the kind of man who was going to change the world definitively. He was the one who comes to burn and to heal and to bring peace and justice at the last. And then Jesus shows up, a man by himself from the north country, And he asked to be baptized with John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It is surprising. (laughs) It is not what John had anticipated, and it showed. And Jesus' explanation of that dissonance, Jesus' explanation of the dissonance between what was expected and what came, lies at the heart of everything good that Jesus gives to people like us. That explanation lies at the heart of every good thing that Jesus offers for our life and for the life of the world. And that's what I want us to talk about for a couple minutes. So in verse 11, John starts to describe Jesus, like I said. But before we get to that, let me just say something about how great the first 10 verses of Matthew 3 are. Uh, You should read all of uh, Matthew 3 later in the afternoon. It's incredible. It's our introduction to John the Baptist, John the the baptizer. And we know, of course, from Luke's gospel about the circumstances of John's birth, and they're pretty great. We know a little bit about what his parents were like, and that's also pretty great. We know about the relationship that his mother had with Jesus' mother. But now we get him. Now we get John. And the first word out of his mouth is a big, fat, repent There is a kingdom at hand, John says, and everybody better get ready for this kingdom that's coming. John preaches hard. He looks like one of the old prophets. 
He eats the craziest stuff, and he puts the most powerful guys in the land on blast like he's untouchable or something. And the thing probably that I love the most about this, the thing that is so compelling about this, is that in most contexts, certainly then and certainly now, he could easily have been dismissed as a fanatic. He could have been safely ignored, but John was not ignored, and he was not dismissed. People come out to John. They come out to hear him preach, and they come out to be baptized. Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around Judea, all the region around the Jordan, Matthew says. The people throng out there, and they can't stop coming to John. They cannot stop. There's something happening out there that feels deeply true. There's this wind of holy discontent. There's this wind of deep longing that's running through the people. There's a recognition. There's a willingness among the people to admit that the things that are wrong in the world, and there's tons of things wrong in their world, but the things that are wrong in the world aren't just confined to out there. They were willing to admit it, that these people knew they bore a responsibility towards God as individuals too, and they were ready to own up to it and to begin with a change that started with turning their faces back toward God in repentance. And church, I just want to say that whenever and wherever there are people like that, there is always health and flourishing and good. Not just for those people, but for everyone who is around those people too. At no time and at no place in Scripture is spiritual health described as people acting like they have it all together and everything is fine. Everywhere and always in Scripture, spiritual health looks like people with their hands open, their hands open for mercy, their hands open for grace, a forgiven people who are forgiving one another. And they're finding in that new power, new energy to work together for the life of the world precisely because they have first been forgiven and loved. So whatever hunger, whatever thirst the people out there were feeling for something like that, it was holy And it was worth chasing down. And the same is true for you and me too, always. And then John describes the Jesus he's getting them ready to meet. He's mightier. (laughs) He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's got his winnowing fork in his hand. (laughs) And he's going to clear his threshing floor. And he's going to harvest the wheat, but the chaff... All that is unjust, all that causes harm, all that spoils his good creation, all that oppresses, all that takes advantage, he is going to burn that stuff with an unquenchable fire. This is a man who will leave nothing untouched, nothing untouched in his upending, unstoppable onslaught to make this world new again. And church, all of it's true. Every word of that is true. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but you come to me? The Jesus that John has just described comes to him, and he seems very different than what he just described. John's confused. He he would prefer to put the kibosh on it, and you can certainly understand why. 
John's whole thing is repentance. <laughs> That's what John preaches. He preaches repentance. I baptize you with water for repentance. That's the whole thing he's doing out there. That's how people come to him, Matthew says. They come to him confessing their sins so that they can be baptized in the River Jordan. John did all of this stuff to get people ready for Jesus to come. And Jesus comes, he shows up, and there's no winnowing fork. There's no clearing of the threshing floor. There's no wheat, there's no fire, there's no chaff. It's not even a sermon. It's just Jesus standing with everyone else out there. Looking for all the world like he is, looks just like everyone else. It doesn't make sense to John. There he is asking to be baptized with water for repentance. Just like everyone else. This is not, as far as John could tell, the way it was supposed to go down. So he states the obvious. You should be baptizing me, Jesus. And then he asks the question. You come to me? And so this is where Jesus begins to answer that dissonance. (laughs) This is where he gets at all of the good stuff that he offers to people like us. And I guess the first thing I love about Jesus' response is that it doesn't really directly answer (laughs) John's question. Jesus doesn't say, well, yes, I do come to you, and, and here's the five reasons why. It's more cryptic than that. It's intended to calm John and to reassure him and to give him enough footing to put his shaky hands out in faith and dip it into that water and go ahead and do this thing that doesn't make any sense for him to do. Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us, John, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, normally, that phrase, fulfilling all righteousness, would mean something like, you know, keeping the law or uh, maintaining the the covenant obligations that a devout person would just do. You know, like when the Apostle Paul writes to his friends in one of the churches that as it related to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. But it can't mean that here because there was no obligation under the law to be baptized. (laughs) It's not a thing in the law to be baptized. As a matter of fact, the baptism that John is doing out there in the wilderness, is is, it's really a distinctly coloring outside of the lines kind of thing. I mean, they're not at a temple. He's not a a priest. (laughs) This is not about following the law. So Jesus is talking about another kind of righteousness. He's talking about an altogether different kind of fidelity that he needs to complete and fill up. He's talking about the righteousness that is at the foundation of the throne of God himself. He's talking about God's fidelity. This is God's righteousness. Because God had promised that he was going to be our God and that we were going to be his people. And this is how he is going to keep that promise. With the people who have been unfaithful, he must keep this promise. He's going to restore, he's going to forgive a broken and sinful people. And in a million years, church, you'd never dream how, but this is how he's going to do it. First, by his complete solidarity with us. 
by his complete solidarity with us. That is the meaning of the incarnation. Not that Jesus looked like he took on our human nature, but that he did take on our human nature. So it's not a coincidence that Jesus came to John standing out there with everyone else shoulder to shoulder. It's not a coincidence. That was the point. He stands with us shoulder to shoulder. It's not a strange anomaly that he identified with the repentant ones. It's not a strange anomaly that he identified with those people who were out there who knew deep in their bones that they stood under the judgment of God. That was the design. He identifies with us so that he can take the absolute worst that we have and bear it away from us. It's no embarrassment, none, that he went down deep into the waters of repentance before us. It's his glory. It's a token of the great love that he has for people like us. In one of Luther's sermons on Jesus' baptism, he said it like this. Here he steps into my person and yours. Here he steps into my person and yours and stands in the place for all of us who are sinners. At his baptism, he is both the greatest and only sinner on earth. For he bears the sins of the whole world. And I know that for us, sometimes things can, uh, can get dark. Sometimes you might wonder if God loves you. I know that we do things uh, that harm ourselves or that people do things to us that harm us. I know that. And we get so turned around and we get so messed up sometimes that we can't imagine anyone ever loving us, let alone God. And I'm telling you, church, the next time you think that, the next time you feel that, the next time you're tempted to think or feel that, I want you to remember Jesus standing where it made no sense at all for him to stand except for love. On the banks of the Jordan, he stands shoulder to shoulder with you. And he steps in ahead of you to bear all that harms you and all that hurts you away in that cleansing flood. This is who we follow. This is who we hold on to in faith. Or the one that we could follow and hold on to if we don't yet. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold. Matthew tells us about three things that happened to and for Jesus as soon as he gets back up on the shore. The heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In church, it's true that Jesus came in complete solidarity with us. And it's true that he stepped in and he took our place. And it's true that he did it because he loved us from before the foundation of the world. And I want to tell you something else that's true. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 that if we're baptized, we are baptized into Jesus. 
He says we are baptized into the death of Jesus. And that certainly means that we will be baptized. We have been baptized into the resurrection of Jesus. And we'll talk more about what all of that means in one of the coming weeks. But for now, I just want you to hear that the Apostle Paul is saying that one of the things that our baptism means is that what is true of Jesus is true of us. And that means that we receive no less than what Jesus received at his baptism. We receive no less than what Jesus received at his baptism at our own. We hear at our baptisms and when we remember our baptisms and when we see someone else being baptized, we hear that same voice that says, you are the beloved and I'm pleased with you. We take on a lot of names in life and sometimes a lot of labels that are kind of like names and some of those are just descriptive of who we are and they're descriptive of what we do. Some of them make us feel great. Others of them make us feel not so great. Some of them we hope we can live up to. Others of them we hope that we one day might be able to live down. And I just want you to know that at your baptism you were given a name. And it supersedes every other name, every other label you've ever been given or taken on. And in the end it's the only one that matters. Because of Jesus' solidarity with you in his own baptism in his cross, and his resurrection, and his ascension. You are the beloved. You are the beloved. And the Father is pleased with you. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would that you would work in us all that you need to work in us, whatever it is, so that we would be a people, um, even if our hands are shaky, if our minds are, are dubious, <laughs> that we would be a people who believe that that is absolutely true because you have told, it, it's told us it's true. That in our baptism we receive a name, that we are beloved and that you are pleased with us. Father, we ask that you would help us to believe uh, that that is true so that we can live into it and live out of it as people who have been loved, as people who have been forgiven, as people who have been made new. Help us to believe it so that we can grow and mature in our own faith and in the way that we live with one another and so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.